Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is the Tuesday edition, and I'm just trying to do more than one thing at the same time, so if I stumble over myself, I apologize, but want to welcome everyone to the program. Can't do more than one thing at a time, Drew. You're not a woman. Oh, that, oh that's right. That's my problem. Uh, <laughs> good to see you, Jeff. How you doing? Doing very well. <laughs> Great. I'm doing one thing. I'm talking at this camera. Yeah, there you go. And Scott, you're doing fantastic. How you doing? Uh, happy birthday, Scott, and welcome back. Uh, you're our program director, and I'm so glad you're here because I need help. <laughs> Good to be here. Okay, little little uh, hesitation in your video, so I don't know if that's going to interfere with things. I'm having trouble getting the, um, the YouTube channel to go live. It just does not lighten up, so... I'm going to just go ahead and start without it, but I want to welcome everyone that's here. Coming in on the um, the Zoom app, please use the Q&A button to ask questions. Give us your comments. We're going to have a very good discussion today. Um, and Jonathan is trying to get in. He's having some Wi-Fi difficulties, but he'll come in and then he'll join us as one of the panelists um, when he starts coming in. With that said, uh, Scott, I want to read the question that we got from a viewer. And I, I want to invite our viewers to please give us some good questions. I mean, all the questions we get are good. But we're really looking for, forward to getting some good questions like this one. This is a good question. comes from someone by the name of Pat. says, why is the path so narrow? What is it that people will be missing that will cause Jesus to say, away from me, you evildoers? How can we be sure that we're on the right path? And I, uh, I want to say that that sounds like uh, a reference to maybe Matthew 7.23, and I'm going to read the context there. And then, uh, Scott, if you don't mind starting the program off with it. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Who are these people, by the way, that he's referring to? They're doing things in his name. Well, it's people that are saying, Lord, Lord, but not doing what they're told to do. So that's kind of sums up what we're going to be talking about. Uh, and so we'll kind of break this down a little bit. We're going to start with the immediate context of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, because, of course, right after that, uh, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and will fall. So we want to go back and look at these words. But it's not that the Sermon on the Mount are the only important words we need to look at. So we'll be, we'll be looking at the idea from the Sermon on the Mount of just discipleship and repentance. And we're going to look then from other texts about how to get into Christ and how to have remission of sins and then how to walk in Christ. And we'll be looking at some biblical passages and examples of the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it because the Bible gives us examples of people who thought they were in Christ, repeated examples who were not. And so we'll be looking at that in some more detail. 
So let's start off with uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and let's back up to the idea that it is narrow. Um, verse 13, what gate are we to enter? I'm sorry, say that again? Verse 13, backing up to verse 13, what gate are we to enter? The narrow gate. Yeah. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The narrow is, uh, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Have you ever been on the uh, road on an interstate, maybe a three, four, or five lanes on your side, and there's a little exit ramp you've got to keep your eye for? And if you're not paying attention, it's just really easy to flow with the traffic and go right by that exit. If you want to take that exit, you need to watch for it. Yeah, um, and I think this this verse 13 that you're going back to is what the the our viewer is alluding to why is how did how did the viewer word it uh why is the way so narrow or how was why, why yeah why is the path so narrow and yeah. what is it that people will be missing that will cause jesus to say blah 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 yeah so it, it, there is this concept that you know god's love should be broad and and it is it is broad it's widely available but it's a narrow path to access it and most people aren't going to find it, which is what these two verses say. So it's like your exit ramp. If you're just going along with the flow, you're not, you're not going to get off at that ramp. You have to make an effort to get over to where that exit ramp takes you the way that most traffic's not going. Yeah, you, you need to look for it. You need to be seeking it. People don't end up in the kingdom of heaven by accident. And on this idea of seeking for it, what did Jesus said just a little bit before this in chapter 7? Seek and you shall find. It's back in verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds. And him that knocks, it'll be open. And then Jesus has an analogy. If we would give good gifts to our sons, to our children, then why should we not understand that God is going to give to those who seek him? But you have to be seeking. Nobody's going to go to heaven by accident. I think you said that a moment ago. But yeah. that almost seems like a, a, a contradiction that anyone who asks, knocks, and et cetera, but then a few verses later, only a narrow. It's the, the way is narrow. How, how do you play that out? Let's look at three passages, and I'll ask you each to pick one to comment on. James talks about people that seek but don't find, and he tells the reason why in James 4. Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians talks about people that don't find. And in 2 Timothy 4, it talks about people that are seeking something, and they're seeking something religious, but they're not seeking the Word of God, and so they're not going to find. So take one of those, and let's look at each of those three passages quick. What's the one in 2 Timothy, you said? 2 Timothy 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, and James chapter 4. So pick one and take a look at it. All right. Well, maybe it makes uh, logical sense to take James 4 and 2 Timothy 4 back to back and then 2 Thessalonians. Uh, James 4 and 2 Timothy 4 uh, both identify a problem of people focusing on what we want. I guess I'll go to James 4 to start. Um, in James chapter 4, uh, I'll start in verse 2. 
you lust and have not, you kill and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war you have not because you ask not, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may spend it in your pleasures. Uh, so here there's an allusion to people who maybe could be argued they are asking, but what are they asking? They're asking for what they want. They're asking that they get what they want. And it always, every time I see this passage, I remember Janis Joplin's song, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yeah. And then, and then in verse... Prosperity gospel preachers to it, apparently. Say what? She, may, she beat a few of the few prosperity gospel preachers. That, uh, yeah. Now, I think that she was being facetious, though. I, wasn't, I mean, I was not a Janis Joplin fan, but I think she... Was she not poking fun at a materialistic society? I would think so, yes. And, of course... Not that she was a great um, bastion of moral character. She ended up dying of an overdose, I think. But there is this in James 4. It goes on to talk about adulteresses. In the Old Testament, God's people were viewed as the, the, the wife of God. And when they would stray and worship other gods, that was infidelity. Uh, idolatry was, in essence, adultery, spiritual adultery. James uses that kind of language to talk about people who are friends of the world. So the world is what they really love. And so they're going to stray from God. And so the, the ramp, going back to your exit, the, the exit is narrow, but anyone can get off on it. It's right. not that you're, you're restricted from getting off on it. It's just that you have to choose the narrow way that most people aren't choosing. And most people are going to be choosing what they want which is the problem here in James. They love the world. They're going to have trouble being faithful to God. Let me give another quick analogy. I think a lot of people live their life like something that falls in a stream, and it just goes with the flow. Yeah. A, a leaf in the fall, it, it falls in the stream, and whichever way the stream's going, that's where it goes. It may end up circling around in a little eddy somewhere until it just decays, but it just follows that. You take a salmon, it's determined, it has a purpose, it has a goal, and it's swimming upstream. You know, and if it comes to a little waterfall, that doesn't stop it. It's still going to swim upstream because it's not going with the flow. It's determined to do something different. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at Second Thessalonians 2. It talks here about it starting. I'm going to start in the middle of the text here, verse 10. With all deceit of unrighteousness for them that perish. This is 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Because they received not the love of the truth that they may be saved. For this cause, God sends them a working of error that they should believe a lie. That they all might be judged who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And just to give a quick example of this, there are several doctrines that are really popular today that are taught in a lot of churches. And whether the person teaching the errant doctrine or not intends it that way, there's plenty of people who hear that and it motivates them to live that way because that means they can do what they want to do and disobey God. For instance, if I go to church and periodically I hear them say, you can't lose your salvation. Right. You'll be saved no matter what you do. I had a friend one time in the fire department, and 
we were talking about this and I said, well, it gives you a license to sin. He says, no, no, if you're, if you're born again, you, you don't use it for an excuse like that. Then we looked at some Bible passages and said, I've never seen those before. If I died right now, I'd go to hell. You know, and clearly he had been, you know, processing this to mean, okay, I don't need to worry about things. Which brings us to 2 Timothy 4. That text for us. I thought you were going to Second Thessalonians two. You're going to Second Timothy. Oh, I already read it. Oh, I'm sorry. My mind, my oh. mind wandered. <laughs> I, I had a video problem. I was trying to fix. Second Timothy four. So it says in verse three, uh, for the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine, but having itching ears, will heap to themselves teachers after their own lusts, or you could say after their own desires, and will tar- turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. So there are people that are looking for something else. And if you're looking for something else, you can find it. Let's go back to the prosperity gospel. If you want to find a church that will tells you, you know, that you're going to make a lot of money and be healthy if you give enough money to this organization and support it, you will be able to find some people to give you the message you want to hear. You know, not too many people, if you just ask them, if you said, is it important to you to find truth? There are some people who are just, they're into modern philosophy, and they're going to say, who cares about truth? Uh, you know, I'm not. But most people, most everyday people, are going to say, sure, sure, I, I, want, I want to follow the truth. I want to, sure. But the, the test comes when the truth is not what I want it to be. And that, that's when we find out whether we really want truth more than what we more than we want what we want yeah um, so and that's when we come up and that's when we come up with a statement like well then truth is really just a relative yeah all right so let's go back now to the sermon on the mount you've got matthew 5 6 and 7 and remember the kind of structure we're going to follow we're going to look at repentance and discipleship we're going to look at what we're going to look at repentance and discipleship all right we're going to look at uh, being put into Christ and receiving the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. And then we're going to look at walking in the light and being productive. Uh, 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 can I interrupt you, though, uh, Scott? I, I was finally able to get us live on Facebook, so I just want to repeat the question. Uh, oh, what, we're re- what we're addressing is was a short question that says, why is the path so narrow? What is it that people will be missing that will cause Jesus to say, to say Away from me, you evildoers. How can we be sure that we're on the right path? So it's a very good question, and, and that's what we're addressing here. And so now you're, you're taking us where? Back to Matthew 5? Yeah, back to, so that's uh, the end of Matthew 7 has that idea, not the exact quote, but that idea, because it talks about being narrow and be, people being shut out. So we're going to look at, number one, what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us about discipleship. And we're going to discuss the idea of repentance there. Number two, we're going to talk about our need for forgiveness of sins and being put into Christ. And number three, we're going to talk about walking in Christ. Because to just put it in a nutshell, if we ignore what Jesus says and don't turn from our sins, we're not going to be saved. If we ignore the blood of Jesus and do not avail ourselves of it and become Christians, as the New Testament teaches, we don't have the forgiveness of sins. And if we get that, but then become unfruitful and lukewarm and 
say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Matthew 25 says we're going to get the same message that these others get. And so we'll look at three levels of how we can miss it. Missing the idea of just being a disciple, repenting, and following. Missing the importance of being put into Christ and receiving the remission of our sins. And then continuing to walk in the light and be productive. So let's start with the first one. It was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said this, that the way is narrow, uh, broad is the way that goes to destruction, only a few find the way of life, beware of false prophets, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going into the kingdom of heaven, it's only, verse 21, those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven, many are going to say, but we did this, and he says, verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Everyone that hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man. Everyone who hears these words and doesn't do them is like a foolish man, and he faces destruction. So let's just very briefly go back and talk about what was in this sermon. The Beatitudes, uh, verses 3 through following, they represent attitudes and points of view and, and, and positions of heart and mind that we need to be to be his disciples. Somebody just kind of sum up what what some of the content of the Beatitudes teaches us. Well, there's a poverty of spirit. There's a spirit that recognizes a need, and too many people today don't understand their need for forgiveness. They separated themselves from God by sin. There's a meekness, uh, a willingness to submit my will to another. There's a craving, a craving for righteousness. All of those things point to not self-exaltation, rather point to a recognition of a need for um, uh, something from really from God. Talk yeah, and also when there was mourning, mourning over our sins, being sorry for our sins. Right. And then the qualities of being merciful, pure in heart. And so God doesn't want us just filling a pew or having a certificate from somebody somewhere, God wants our hearts. So then we get to the next section, verse 13 through 16, and how are our lives to be different from the lives of the world? You repeat the chapter you're in. I think I'm in the wrong chapter. Matthew 5. Matthew 5? Matthew 5. Okay. So verses 15, 16, our lives are to be exemplary, uh, it says, verse 15, don't, men don't put, light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it shines unto all that are in the house. You know, if I'm going to be a light in this world, I think many people listening to this webcast would grant that this world is full of corruption and immorality. If I'm going to be a light in that immoral and corrupt world, I'm going to have to be different. Yes. And there's too many people that want to claim the benefits of Christ, but they dress around in the camouflage of the world, yeah. by their behavior, by their priorities, by their language, by their dress, by their, it's, they're worldly. And we're called to be lights in a dark world. Then the next part is, especially in contrast to the teaching of the Pharisees, which emphasized external things, Jesus goes beyond the external things. It's not enough not to kill somebody. You need to not you can't have that sentiment in your heart. You can't hate your brother. You know, to the Pharisee, you get the impression that if he wanted to kill him, but he didn't kill him, that was good enough. 
not only should you not commit adultery, you should not lust after a woman. Lust after uh, her in your heart. Uh, you shouldn't just love your neighbor. You also need to love your enemy. Enemy. And you get down into Matthew 6, and you've got the phrase, don't be like them. Jesus is calling us to something different. In the specific context of 6 is people doing religious things, but they're doing religious things for what purpose? Yeah. To be seen of men so that people will look at him and say, oh, wow, he's really religious, he's really pious, he's really good, rather than doing it because God calls upon me to do it. I'm doing okay. it. And, and, he, and Jesus says the people who are like this, They've got the only reward they're going to get. They've got the praise of men, and that's their reward. Right. Then the last section of six talks about money. In the first part, people that just love money are devoted to money. That's not going to work. Or if you just consume you care about it, he says, don't worry about that. If you seek first, you notice that, seek first the kingdom of heaven, these things are going to be taken care of. Then chapter seven, he gets to judgment. Because you know what? As human beings... We are capable of seeing bad behavior. Some of the worst people you know are bothered by bad behavior. But what bad behavior do we find it easily to be bothered by? Everybody else's. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can have some rotten people, but the three of them can get together and talk about another group of people, and they're all upset. With You can see this at work. You can see this in school, you can see this in the neighborhood, and you can see it in the church where, oh, you've got Drew, you have this problem. Jeff, you have this problem. And I can be looking at a speck of sawdust in your eye and ignoring the fact that I've got a two-by-four sticking out of my eye. Do we have time to sit on this one just for a minute? Yeah, let's do it. This is such human nature. And I think that if we look at ourselves, each of us can see this tendency in ourselves. I'll catch myself doing this. Uh, I'll catch myself driving along and some guy on the side road pulls out in front of me and I'm thinking, he pulled right out in front of me. Uh, he, I mean, yes, th there was room, so to speak, but I mean, he, I was close enough. It's a little rude. And then, oh, 10, 15 minutes later, I'll be sitting at this, trying to turn onto this road and traffic's really heavy and it's hard to get out onto the road. Yeah. There'll be a gap and I'll jump out there in it. And then I'll think, wait a minute, what did you do? And, and then the next thing that I catch myself is doing is saying, yes, but in my situation, I was having a hard time getting out and I'd been sitting there a long time. Well, maybe the other guy had two, you know. And, and so it is such human nature to find fault with others and have a different standard that we require others to live up to than we require for ourselves. Yes. And the thing about it is... I'm not responsible for other people, but God holds me responsible for me. Right. And I can't change other people, but the Lord's calling me to change me. Uh, and you, this is why, for instance, when David is committed to sin with Bathsheba, you know, he, there was a series of sins there. Sin upon, you know, bad decision on bad decision on bad decision on bad decision. And by the end, he's so callous that when he hears... Uh, that not only Uriah, but a number of men are dead. He says, I told, told you all not to worry about it. Yeah. It looks like David isn't either. So <laughs> what does the prophet do to get David's attention? He puts it in somebody else. He tells the story as if somebody else has committed this, the same type of sin. So as calloused as David has gotten to his own sin in that chapter, 
when he hears the story of a, a rich man that took the little sheep of another man? How, how did he react? He said, this man is worthy of death, and he's going to have to repay fourfold. He was angry that somebody would have done such a thing. Yeah, and then, of course, the prophet brings it home. You're that man. Yeah. So to, to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to take these things seriously and look at ourselves and follow him. So now, if, if I can, just to, going back and tying this all to the original question, why is the path so narrow? narrow? What are we missing? If we think about it, just that, that self-righteous tendency, that tendency to find fault with others that we don't find with ourselves, if we can understand how characteristic that is of all of us, then we can understand, oh, we are all on the, the six lanes that are going the way we don't need to go. It's going to take a choice to get off of that path and go a different direction. And then it's going to take some forgiveness for the, the things that I've been doing wrong while I've been going with all the traffic. As Jesus tells the parable about the Pharisee and the publican praying, if you remember how Luke introduced it, he said he spoke this parable to certain of them that trusted in themselves that they were righteous yeah. and set all others at naught. Yeah. So that you have the Pharisee praying. There's no humility in his prayer. There's no praise of God in his prayer. There's no mourning. There's no poor in spirit. Right, right. He's not sorry for his sins. He doesn't admit his sins. He's sorry for everybody else's sins. God, I thank you that I'm all that in a bag of chips, and I'm not like those people over there. And, of course, at the end, he says he, he's not justified. So he misses it through. Translation says bag of chips. Paraphrase. Scott paraphrase. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so. Now let's talk more specifically. So here we see some of the ethical standards that Jesus calls to. And if we don't, if we don't turn from our sins and follow him, if all we do is say, Lord, Lord, but keep, we keep walking in ways of the world, we're, we're, we're the foolish man. Um, but the problem is, if you and I start today having humility, being sorry for our sins, trying to live lives of light um, and, and examining ourselves, that doesn't change the fact of all the sins that we've already committed, much less the super future sin in the future. We need the blood of Christ. Going back to Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew 121 says, naming Jesus, Yeshua would have been the, the Jewish way to pronounce the name, and it indicated salvation of the Lord, for it is he that will save his people from their sins. So we see who the Savior is, Jesus. We see what we need from him, salvation from our sins, and we see who he saves, his people. John 10, he says, my people are those that hear my voice. Let's talk now about how does a person turn to Jesus and receive that forgiveness of sins? Well, and, and if I can introduce this this way, um, you know, many people are familiar with the famous statement where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, why is the path so narrow? What is it people are missing? Well, they don't understand Jesus is the only way. What does it mean, Jesus is the only way? 
not merely that he's the only one that says you ought to be less judgmental, not meaning that he's the only one that says you ought to love others as you love yourself, not meaning that he's the only one that says you shouldn't commit adultery. Yes, Jesus teaches all those things, and we need to learn all those things, but he's the only way that I can get forgiveness of the things I've done wrong for the times I haven't done the right thing. Confucius said, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But Confucius couldn't take away. Really, you know, it's really good, but he doesn't offer what Jesus offers. Yeah. Yeah, Confucius can say something something right there, but he can't take away your sin when you've done something wrong. Right. Only Jesus can do that. Right. So how does that happen? <laughs> well, what do you do to make it possible, and what response does the Bible call us to do? Well, he makes it possible by, by taking the punishment for our sins so that God can look at us and say, your sin's been dealt with. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Um, so in fact, let me turn over there real quickly. First Peter chapter two, and, uh, I'll start in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree. That'd be the cross that we having died unto sins might live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And so there's this idea of us being in spiritual disease, spiritual death, but we can be healed because Jesus takes the punishment uh, due us for our sins. All right. So Jesus died for our sins, and not only died for our sins, but then rose from the dead. The problem is, Scott, he died for everybody. So that would seem that everybody's saved. But the problem is, no, you have to be a part of Jesus' death. You have to be in Christ. And the Bible teaches how, when, at what point we come to be in Christ. And so, if y'all, I'm gonna, what time are we at right now? 2.30, we have 15 minutes. All right, let me see if I can get this in here real quick. I want to share a screen here. Are we going to get to see a PowerPoint slide? We are going to see a PowerPoint slide. If I can find the share button. Is it going to be one of the famous Scott Smelser PowerPoint slides? It's it's gonna be a, a slide by Scott Smelter. I don't know it's famous, but well, uh, this this is actually I use this at that uh, place over north of Philly that you made arrangements for us to speak at. Okay. So, um, according to many churches and preachers in the U.S., it's like this. Here's how you respond. Oh, that's a bunch of people being saved, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> and. Uh, 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 it's not you're breaking up. I'm going to skip some. All right. Here's a message that gets preached in a lot of churches. God loves you. Is that biblical? Yes. Sin separated us from God. Yes. That's biblical. God, yes. Jesus died for your sins. Yes. I'm going to say a prayer. If you say that prayer with me, you will be saved. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's no scripture for this one. And yet, it's what gets done at many, many, many churches, from Joel Osteen's church to a lot of Southern Baptist churches and a lot of other places. And it goes kind of like this. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you say a prayer with me, you will be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I've heard that more than once over here in Adams County. No one's going to see you. If you pray this prayer with me, you will be saved. I've heard them on, watch this online at Joel Osteen's church. 
Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I accept you into my heart as my personal Savior. Thank you for saving me from my sin. Oh. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand with every head bowed, every eye closed, no looking around. No one's going to see you but me and God. <laughs> raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Don't worry. No one will see you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, question. Is that what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost? No. No. They it, said, what shall we do? He didn't say, raise your hand while you have your head bowed. <laughs> right. Somebody read for us Acts 2, verse 36 through 38. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were pricked or cut to the heart. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what do we do? And Peter said, Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. No, that's not what it I said. I'll find it in my version. Oh, what does it say? Uh, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse, is it 40? What did they do? Uh, yeah, verse 30, uh, verse uh, 41. Then 41. they received his word, bowed their heads, and raised their hands. Wait, nope, sorry. That was just my imagination. Then they that received his word were baptized, and there were added unto them in that day about 3,000 souls. All right. So let's get back here to the PowerPoint. Is that what Philip taught the eunuch? From this passage, he's reading Isaiah 53 about the one that died for others. And he said, who's this talking about? This is Acts chapter 8. And then Philip, beginning with that text, preached to him Jesus. And, and as they went on their way, they came to a certain pew, and the eunuch said, Behold, here is a pew. What doth hinder me from bowing my head and raising my hand and saying a prayer? Again, not what it said. What no, it not what it says. What it actually says is they went on the way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, Behold, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Okay, guys, you're making a point here that you have to do something of being immersed in water. You're leaving out those scriptures that do say what those other preachers said. You're leaving out the scriptures that says, just say the prayer. And bow your head and raise your hand. Exactly. So let's get there. Okay, so show all those right now on screen, Scott. That's there they are. <laughs> there aren't any. <laughs> right. But they make it sound like that there are. Yeah. Is that what Paul did? Ananias said three days after the Lord appeared to him, and now why tearest out, arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, is that the way people came to Christ in the New Testament? No. Has anyone ever seen that prayer in Scripture? And if I'm not willing to be seen with Christ, am I with Christ? It does say in Romans 10 that we are to confess Jesus with our mouth as Lord. That verse wasn't saying confess that you're a sinner. We are. But that verse is talking about confessing with our mouth Jesus as Lord. The people raising their hand are not making us. In fact, they often raise their hand after being assured nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see you. I've seen it at Joel Osteen's church where after they tell you people, every head bowed, every eye closed, you know, so, you know, you're not going to be seen is the idea. And then after they prayed the prayer, they say, now you can open your eyes. Then they ask them, now I want you to do something bold and come up to the front. 
and then they tell the ushers, ushers, if you saw somebody with your hand raised and they're not coming, go get them. Oops, not every head was bowed. And every <laughs> it's a manipulation. Jesus wants us to stand up for him. Jesus said, if you won't, if, you know, if you'll confess me, I'll confess you. But if you're ashamed of me, he says in the Gospel of Mark, I'll be ashamed of you. Real quickly, let's get to um, some other things here. Biblical faith, because some people say, doesn't the Bible say we're saved by faith only? Uh, and no, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace through faith. Romans 3 and 4 says that redemption in his blood, and we are justified in faith, trusting in him for that. John 3, we're to believe in Christ. But this is a case we need to keep reading. Yeah, you guys ever picked up a book on something and you read, you know, if you're going to do electrical wiring, do you stop after the first paragraph? No, you keep reading. Ephesians 2 goes on to say that if we keep walking in sin, we will not inherit the kingdom. Romans goes on to say that if we keep walking in sin, we will not be saved. We need to obey and we need to be baptized. John 3 goes on to say that people who believed but then wouldn't confess him are not, are clearly uh, not right there. So biblical faith goes beyond just, oh, I believe it. Biblical, the decision of biblical faith is to return from sin, to repent, to decide to change our life. The statement of biblical faith is confessing Jesus as Lord. The response of biblical faith is being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And then the walk of biblical faith is to follow the teachings of Christ. And Hebrews 5.9 says, Jesus is the source of salvation to those that obey him. You, uh, you used the term that uh, the, the, uh, you're saved by faith only. Uh, we hear that term, that you're saved by faith only. That phrase is not in the scriptures anywhere, except in James, he does allude to faith only. And what does James say about faith only? He says, so faith by itself, which is faith only, if does not have works, is dead. Yes, dead. Now, uh, those works, by the way, let's not confuse, those works are not baptism. Baptism is not a work. Those works are what? What James is saying, so also by faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Context, in the context, James gave an example of what he's talking about. He's saying, if you say that you have faith and your brother comes to you and he lacks food and clothing, and you just say, be warmed and filled, go, but you don't give him anything, what does that do? Then James goes ahead to say, so faith without works is, is worth nothing. Uh, it, it, it has to follow through. Our good works don't pay for our sins. Our good works don't redeem us. But James here is... Over 20 times, James ties into things that his brother Jesus said. And this is one of it. Look at it there. If you just say, he's saying, I'm trying to get to it here while I'm talking, I'm doing a bad job. You do two things at once. You're not yeah, a woman. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what does it profit, my brothers, if a man says he has faith but has not works? And that faith saved him. If a brother or sister is naked and lack of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, Yet you've given not things equal to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith that has not works is dead in itself. 
Now, this is saying the same thing that Jesus said. Let's go to Matthew 25, and this goes to our third point. We need to turn from sin. We need to be disciples of Christ and turn from sin. If we keep walking in carnal, arrogant ways, we're not going to be saved. We need the blood of Christ. He's provided it. We need to respond the way by <laughs> But thirdly, after we've done that, we need to walk as disciples. And here in Matthew 25, we've got the pretext of what I think we have in James chapter 2. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, I'm in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the angels will, then he'll sit on the throne of his glory. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he's going to separate them the way a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. So this is Matthew 25, verse 33, Jesus speaking. And he says, where's he going to put the sheep? On the right. put the goat on the left then verse 34 then the king says to those on the right come you blessed my father inherit the kingdom of god prepared you from the foundation of the world i was hungry you gave me to eat i was thirsty you gave me to drink i was a stranger you took me in naked you clothed me not i was sick you visited me i was in prison you came to me and the righteous will answer saying lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink or, and it goes, or naked and clothed at the end of verse 38. And what does Jesus say in verse 40? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he said to those on the left. So this comes back to our original question. What could it be that people are missing? Well, here's an example. Then he says to those on the left, Depart from me, ye cursed into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you, you uh, gave, uh, as soon as you gave me to eat, but this doesn't sound right in my head. Let me see it. You gave me no food. Yeah, oh, you, did, you did not write. Right. I'm sorry, we're in the goats now. You did yeah, yeah, goats. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You wouldn't take me in naked. You didn't clothe me. And then they asked the same question. Lord. When were you hungry and we didn't feed you? When did you like clothing we didn't, you know, clothe you? And what's his answer? I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did it. You did not do it to me. Okay. And so you see James, he's saying, if one of the, if a brother comes to you and he lacks food and drink and you just say, good luck. Good yeah. Oh, he's be warmed and filled. We're failing to, to meet the type of life of good works and, and just service to others that Jesus calls to. Not that these good works atone for our sins. They don't. But Jesus is calling us from unselfishness to service. I mean, from selfishness to service. From darkness to light. From the old man to the new man. And so we can miss it because we're just going down the highway of life or the stream of life, doing our own thing. Well, we're not going to hit that narrow way. We can miss it because we listen to false teachings of churches instead of what the Bible says about the blood of Jesus and how to become a Christian. And after we've done that, we can miss it by returning to a selfishness that doesn't serve others and that doesn't look to the Word of God and doesn't follow 
his teachings and doesn't love God and doesn't love uh, our neighbors ourselves. It just says, one peace be warmed and filled. And so then you have churches like Sardis, where Jesus says, you've got a name that you live, but you are dead. And the church like Laodicea in Revelation 3, I wish you were cold or hot, but you are lukewarm. Warm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And he calls those churches to do what? To repent. Well, that uses up our time. We're down to one minute, so when well, do you wind us up there? We're actually down to nine seconds. Actually, I will, let me wind it up with saying that Scott uh, is going to be making a live presentation up here in Honesdale, Pennsylvania on Thursday evening, and I want to invite everybody in the whole state to come join us. And, of course, you don't want to drive up here, so you can do, watch Scott live 7.30 Thursday evening. I'll give you the link in a minute where to go. But the topic that Scott is going to be talking about is very timely, and it's the title is, Where is God in All This Chaos? And some of our friends that maybe don't believe in God will say, see, God doesn't exist. Look at the mess we find ourselves in. Or even believers will say, how could God allow these things to happen? And so, Scott, you're going to be presenting that Thursday night at 730 live at Honesdale, right? Looking forward to being with you. Look forward to that. If anyone wants to uh, come in, we're going to bro- web, uh, webcast it as well. Go to christiansinhonesdale.com. christiansinhonesdale.com. And then just click on the button. It'll say, where is God in all this chaos? And click there, and you'll see the page, and you can just register to watch the streaming live. And it's spelled Honesdale, H-O-N-E-S-D-A-L-E. Yeah, N is in Nancy, not M is in Mary. Honesdale. Okay. Christians and Honesdale.com. Guys, thanks an awful lot. Look forward to seeing you next week. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday night, Scott. Everyone have a great week. Bye.